As with a lot of things in our church, there are a number of folks who give a ton of their hours, a ton of their time to, to just doing something that would allow people to be able to connect better with God. And today, this morning, I am so thankful for the hard work that you guys put in to bless us with your worship. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, this morning is, is Vision Sunday. We do this once a year. So uh, you could say that I feel one of two things. I either feel a ton of pressure because I only have one shot at this. And on the other hand, I don't feel a lot of pressure because if I blow it, well, I blow it. And I don't have to think about it for the rest of the year, you know. So, uh, but I'm excited about this morning because I get to stand up here and essentially tell you guys what I talk about every day of my life. What I talk about every day of my life, every time I get an opportunity to connect with somebody, somebody who's possibly walked away from their Christian faith. You know, we talked about uh, the Ecclesia Sermon Series this fall. We looked at what the church is through Scripture. And we came to some frightening, uncomfortable realities, and that is that there are people who have been so hurt by people who have done things in the name of Jesus that they don't want to have anything to do with the Christian faith, let alone the church. We came face to face with the reality there are thousands of people throughout the city of Chicago who desperately yearn to connect with somebody, who desperately yearn to connect with deeper realities, desperately yearn to connect with, as we'll talk about, a creator God who created them to have a relationship with them. But they, as soon as they think of Christianity or church, they don't want to have anything to do with it because they think of it as a bunch of rules and regulations that sucks the joy and life right out of any of us. See, the exciting, incredible thing is that every time I look at this book, the Bible, and I read through it from Genesis to Revelation, instead of having a religion or some God deity who says, I'm up here, you're down here, work really hard to get to where I'm at. Instead of having a God says, who says, here are a bunch of rules, here are a bunch of regulations that you need to do and not do so that you can be a good person. What I see in Scripture is a God who has a plan to, as the theologian N.T. Wright says, to put all things to rights. Everything that was marred by sin, everything that was affected by sin, to put everything back together. That includes our relationship with God, certainly, but also our relationship with each other in deep, genuine, and authentic community. And also a role that we have to play in the world out there that's broken because of sin. Sin of injustice, sin of oppression, sin of exploitation, sin of abuse. A God who calls us to be radically involved in this putting together, putting to rights all that has fallen because of sin. And the reason why I have reason to get up in the morning is because the Bible tells me that there's a reason for my being. The reason why God has given you life, given me life. That there is a purpose, there's a destiny, there is a reason why we live and we breathe and we have our being. And that is to participate with God in this ultimate restoration project that he set in motion 2,000 years ago by the virtue of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and yes, his resurrection. That you and I don't have to get up each morning going, why do I work where I do again? Why do I, do ha- why do I have this job? Why do I live in community with these people again? 
You can get up each morning and say, God has called me to participate in this amazing thing that he is out to do. That's why we're here. This is Vision Sunday, and if you are somebody who is church shopping this morning, this is your last stop. I know that sounds presumptuous, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of presumptuous. I'm kind of... I, I should rather say, I'm hoping that this is your last stop, because you will get to hear... Essentially at the core of why we, why we do what we do. And if you are a new community attender or a member or committed to new community, look, this is one time throughout the year you get to, you get to hear why it is that you get up in the morning and come here at seven o'clock and you set up. Why it is that you take time to stand by the door and give, 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 give bulletins and greet people who come here. Why it is that you spend time upstairs working with the children. Why it is that you give yourself and time and energy to teaching, to building relationships the people in our church, why it is that you go out at 9.30 on a Friday night when it's frigid cold and minister to homeless men and women in this, in this community, why it is that a bunch of you who are attorneys, lawyers, are involved in a new ministry called Micah Legal Aid Clinic, and you serve and give yourself to the underprivileged of this community, why it is that you, all of you, do what you do. This morning is a reminder to you and to me that we don't do this just to play church, We don't do this just to gather to have meetings. We do this because God is in this to use you and me and this church community to change the world. Is that presumptuous? I I know, I live up in the clouds and, and, and this is what I think about and this is how I talk. This is what gets me up in the morning, and I pray to God that you too will join us on this journey to fulfill what God has called us to do. See, uh, let me go ahead and, and, and maybe begin here. Um, we'll be looking at a number of passages this morning, but Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I know verse 10 is up there, but let me read from verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I wasn't intending to share uh, this insight this morning, but as I was meditating on this passage, I need to say this again, because you will be reminded of this throughout the year 2007. That is, look, the motivation for our Christian life, the motivation for our being, everything that we do, is spelled out in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. What do I mean? I will continue to distinguish the difference between religion, and the gospel. The religion and the gospel. Religion that says, because you obey, because you're a good person, because you do the works God has called you to, because you do all these things, therefore God loves you, therefore God accepts you, therefore God approves of you. That's religion. You know, I'm preparing a big sermon series coming up next week, starting next week. We're going to spend about eight, nine weeks talking about the life, the ministry, teachings of Jesus. We're going to call this sermon series Rediscovering Jesus. In light of this sermon series, I've also done some studies of other world religions. And i got to tell you, spending the time ta- uh, learning about other religions, there is one common strain theme that runs throughout. That is this, religion says, somebody came along and said, here are good teachings. Here's the way to find life. Here's the way to connect with God. You do these things, you perform these things, you meditate on these things, and then you can connect with this God. Christianity comes along and says, look, that's religion, this is the gospel. You ready? It is by grace you've been saved. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. 
God came and called you while you were lost, absolutely lost in sin. And he saved you out of that mire. Therefore, what God has created you to do, do it. You got, I will continue to remind this church the difference between religion and gospel because it is the gospel that would free you and me to live our lives as God has called us to, radically. But this passage also reminds us that there is a work that God has given us. There is a work that Jesus Christ has prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, your life experiences... Your environment, your family, the good and the bad, success and the failures, your ethnicity, your race, the places you grew up in, all of those things, God has ordained them in such a way that God has set for you what only you can do that nobody else can do. And if that doesn't make you, if that doesn't make you, if that doesn't motivate you to say, God has something for me, in light of all that I've gone through, in light of all that God has brought me through, that nobody else can. That's precisely what Scripture says. God has prepared things for you in light of all that you've gone through to minister, to serve, and to do only that which you can do. Somebody asks me, Peter, how do you sum up what New Community is about? And I'd like you to help me this morning because there are three C's that come right out of the Great Commandment And the Great Commission, as the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and go and make disciples of all nations. It's pretty simple, actually, at the core of who we are. Call it vision statements, call it core values, call it whatever the heck you want to, as long as you know what it is. The three C's are, you ready? Christ, community, and cause. Let's say that one more time, ready? Christ, community, and cause. These three C's are at the core of who we are and what we do. Anything that detracts us from these three C's and fulfilling these C's, we don't do. And anything that prompts us and moves us closer to doing these three things, we do. And this morning I want to spend a moment about what we mean by these things. And also allow to hear some stories and testimonies of folks who are on this journey of living these core values out. First is Christ. What do I mean? What are we talking about? If you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 17. I could go to a number of passages, a number of passages, but I want to land on this. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24. This is Apostle Paul who finds himself in the city of Athens. And he's interacting. He's interacting with folks in the city of Athens. And this is what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Again, something that the scripture affirms over and over again is this. This transcendent, amazing creator God who is bigger than the universe is also a God who is imminent. It's also a God who is close, who is also a God who is involved in the details of your life, details of every single aspect of your life, in such a way that where you live, what you do, everything that you do, God is not only concerned, but God is sovereign over. We serve a God, we believe in a God, we have a relationship with God who is not only transcendent, but who's also imminent. He's close, He's near to you. And he goes on and he says, God did this. 
so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. What are we talking about when we say that we're about Christ? Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about this reality that God created you. God created me to be involved in an intimate relationship where we give worth or worship to our God. That within the DNA of the human soul is a longing, is a searching, is a seeking that will not stop until it connects the person who created them for him. What scripture reminds us is that at the core of our souls, all of us, whether you believe in God or not, is that we were created to worship something. By the way, do you know the word worship literally means? It just literally means giving worth to something. Giving worth to something. And the reality is that all of us, at the core of our soul, is a longing to give worth to something. The question isn't, are you a worshiper? The question is, what is it that is the object of your worship? And the Bible's unflinching that God created us to give worth and worship Christ, the one who created us and our soul for him. In Acts chapter 17, we see Paul distressed because he's walking around in a city of idols. And what a picture of the world that we live in today. Not only because of the hundreds, thousands of religions and faiths that are out there, but we live in a world where millions of people every day of their lives chant, meditate, and bow down to figures of wood, figures of stone, not because they're ignorant, not because they're uneducated, not because they live in a third world, but because they are desperately trying to get the attention of the one who created them to worship something. You and I might look at these people around us of different faiths and thumb our nose at them and say, how ignorant, how, 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 how they lack faith. I look at them and say, there is a longing in their soul to connect with their creator God. And they will do anything to get his attention. God created you for him. God created you for him. The question is, uh, who sits? Who sits on the chair of our thrones? Someone once used this analogy that if you were to follow the trails of what we do with our time, our energy, our affections, our money, our day planners, follow that trail, and at the end of that trail is a throne, and who or whatever is sitting on that throne is the real God of your life. Believe you and me, you may not be a worshiper of the God that we believe in and serve, but there is a God, there is a non-negotiable, there is that which is primary in your life, there is that which is the most important thing in your life, and it is that thing that you give worship to. Who is it? What is it? It doesn't get any more practical than this, you guys, because as I talk about all the time, who or whatever is sitting on that throne is that which will define your identity, is that which will give you your security, is that which will be the foundation of your life. What is the answer to the longing of your heart? The Apostle Paul looks around and affirms once again that you and I have been created for him to worship Christ. You know what the challenge for many of us is? challenge for many of us is the reality that 
we spend all of our time with people who are already moving in the direction of God. That's why many of us fail to have this intense, intense distress, if you will, that Paul felt as he walked on the city of Athens because we spend our entire lives walking and moving and living with people who are already moving in the direction of God. Is that you this year? Can I just give a small challenge before I move on? The Apostle Paul had an interesting uh, uh, ratio. The pastor uses. Six to one ratio. He spent one day in the market, one day in the synagogue with religious people, and he spent six days in the marketplace with irreligious people. What would your life look like with that ratio? What would your life look like? Six to one. What would your life look like if you spent one sixth of your life with Christians? Because I'll talk about it. We need community. We need to be in community. We need to be in relationships with people who don't know Jesus, to, uh, who know Jesus to strengthen us, to encourage us. But what would happen if we spent five sixths of our times with people who had nothing to do with God and yet their hearts are desperately longing and searching for something to connect to? Some of us need to have a very hard conversation this year. Can I tell you guys, some of us need to go call somebody, either today or this week, a Christian friend, and you need to say to him or her, maybe two, three people, and saying, bro, says, I love you and all, but I'm going to have to cut you loose. You need to explain to them, you're a great person, you have no problems finding another friend, you don't need me, but you need to say, you know what? My life is filled with Christian activities. My life is filled with Christians. My life is filled with people who are already moving in the direction of God. And I need to make room in my life for somebody who is longing, searching, and seeking to connect with their creator God who made them for him. I was hoping there would be a light moment. I'm sorry if that hit too hard for some of us. I think maybe the reality is that for many of us, including myself, that's going to mean that we get out of our comfort zones this year and ask the question, who can I serve? So here's the reality, hardcore truth. You ready? If you claim to be a Jesus follower and yet you don't show any interest or pour your time and energy and resources into somebody who doesn't know Jesus, then they will think that Jesus is not interested in them. Do you want your heartbeat to beat with the heart of God? This is the God who said, I am like a shepherd who is leaving the 99 in the fold and I will go after that one that's lost. This is the same God who said, I will be like a woman who lost a precious coin. I will search every single corner of this to find that coin that is precious to me. This is the same God who longed and looked out every day for that lost son just to come home. Let me say one more thing and then I'll move on. Volunteers, those of you that serve on Sunday, do you know why you do what you do? Do you know why we do what we do? Look, we don't need to force Jesus down at people. People are already yearning, seeking for God, and God has already been pursuing them. All we need to do is provide an environment where people can walk into and possibly connect with this creator God who made them. If you're standing out there greeting people, handing out bulletins, don't think that you do it just because you have to do something. That might be the first time somebody who doesn't know Jesus will encounter a Christian who genuinely is concerned that they experience the hospitality of God. For those of you that are tech team and you come here early in the morning, you set up, do you know why we do what we do? These lights and all this 
jazz. It's not to be cool. It's not to be edgy. We do this just to create an environment for that one soul that may walk through those doors and find the God who has been pursuing them all these years. Hmm? That's why we do what we do. And if you're wondering, so is that, is that what's going on behind the scenes? What's going on behind the scenes is a group of people, I want you to know, who connect with this creator God who created them. And they so desperately yearn and long for somebody else to connect with them that they will get up at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and do all of this just so that that one person would connect with their creator. Christ. Christ. The second core value, the vision of our church is Community. Will you say that with me? Community. Say that one more time. Ready? Community. Now, this is hard. Amen? Oh, if you think this is hard, say amen. 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 This is hard. Community is hard. And what makes it even harder is when you look at what Scripture has to say. What Scripture says is that when Jesus Christ died and rose again, He not only connected us to Himself, but He also gave us this precious gift of community. He gave us the gift of each other. He gave us, and we're going, that's not a very good gift. It is a good gift. When she connected us, He gave us a gift to one another where together we would learn to grow, to laugh, to cry, to succeed together, to fail together, together in community that we would encounter this God gift the community something amazing happened 2,000 years ago and that is the first group of Christians the first generation of believers came in from all different ethnicity all different race all different socioeconomic backgrounds masters and slaves Gentiles and Jews all different people came together and worshipped God together And they became such a magnetic example that the unbelieving world couldn't help but notice. But the tough thing about community in year 2007 is that's much harder to pull off. It almost seems like a distant dream. And that's because the reality of community says that we're imperfect people. Look, if you're a Christian and you come to this church because you want to be around perfect people, please go find another church. If you're a Christian who's been looking for a church where you'll feel warm, fuzzy, and you'll connect with people who are phenomenal and love you and care for you and and will do no wrong, go find another church because you'll be disappointed. You know what's so beautiful about community is that it's it's a group of imperfect people who have been perfected by God. We're all on a search. We're all, we're all on this journey, if you will, to learn how to live out that perfection that God has created in us. The beautiful thing about community is that it's not about being perfect. It's not about being perfectly lovable. It's not about not having any imperfections. The beautiful thing about community is that we learn to love each other despite our imperfections. We love each other through our flaws. Can I just say something? Look, it's only when you and I learn to love people who are imperfect, who are broken, who are all over the place, that we know that it's genuine. Because that kind of love you and I can't generate. It comes from God. <laughs> I just I make it sound like we're just a bunch of messed up people. We are. The beautiful thing about community is that you are loved even when you don't think you're even worthy of love. 
The beautiful thing about community is that you're received and accepted when you can't even receive and accept yourself. The beautiful thing about community is that people bestow worth and value to you because they see you as a beautiful design of God's creation even when you don't think that about yourself. The beautiful thing about community is that the love of Christ compels us despite, through our imperfections, such a way that not even the greatest betrayal were ever, ever in that relationship. Can that be us? Can that be us? Amen. I know you guys are tired of me hearing, tired of you know, hearing me talk about this. Matthew 5.14. We are a city. (laughs) Come on. We are a city on a hill. That means that we are a city within a city. That means that we are an alternate city. That means that we are called to be a Chicago within a Chicago. An alternate Chicago. And what a graphic, detailed picture. Couldn't get any more clear about why we exist. We know. We live in Chicago. We know how men and women treat each other. We live in Chicago. We know what people think and how they handle their sexuality. We know and and see how it is that people of different ethnicity and race get along or fail to get along with each other in this city. We know what city out there thinks about money we know what city out there thinks about beauty and Jesus Christ says you're not just to have meetings you are to be an alternate city what does that mean simple let the world out there look at the way you live and how you treat money that you're generous that you don't hoard it for yourself you realize that you're just a manager steward that God has entrusted with resources to share radically how do you handle sexuality it's not to be used it's not to be used outside of the context of marriage as God has clearly told us in Scripture. And that we treat men and women with respect, with honor, with dignity. How do the races get along? We don't treat each other with suspicion, with prejudice, with racism. But we learn to deal with the walls that divide us, to break down those walls and learn to genuinely love each other across race, ethnicity, and culture. How do we deal with the poor? Are we paternalistic? Do we look at them and say, hey, we've got all these things and they don't, so I feel sorry for them. And so therefore, let me go and help you. Or do you realize that the poor maybe get the gospel more than we do because they realize that it's not really about their performance, their achievement, what they can do, that everything is a gift of God and that they have more to teach us, perhaps, than what we have to teach them. We are to be a radically different city. At the world could look at it and say, why are you like that? And our answer simply is, we have a different king. We have a different king who's given us a different value system. Who has given us a different priority list. And we live by that. Do you want to be a part of a kingdom community? Then will you begin to pray for love for people who are different from you? Can I just say something that is so obvious? Look, people come to a church where they have friends or could make friends. Don't expect people that are different from you to come to this church just because we want to paint a portrait of diversity. Only when you and I genuinely learn to love people who are different from us will we be that magnetic community that the city out there would want to be a part of. I'm going to show a couple testimony videos, and I'm so excited from a couple of our family, church family. But before I do, 
mention one thing. For those of you that are saying, Peter, being in community in this church is so hard. It is so hard. They're hard for two reasons. Number one, you're busy. You don't have time. Your day planners are already filled. Your day planners are already filled. My challenge to you this year is this. What are you willing to do to make space and make room to build some deep, authentic relationships? You can't have best of both worlds. And number two, part of the reason why this this church is hard to live in community is because we're so different. The reality is you're sitting next to people who would not normally listen to the music you listen to, watch the movies you watch, eat the food that you eat, are interested in the things that you're interested in. Are we going to allow that to be a barrier? Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if because of what God is doing, we genuinely learn to love each other because we're different rather than hate each other because we're different? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? I'll show you these couple testimony videos up here of two people who are on this journey of learning to do community. And I'll come back and say a couple more words. Uh, I've been coming to New Community for about a year now. I moved into Logan Square about 18 months ago, and God, the church is four blocks from my house, so I figured, you know, it's about time that I start going to a church in the city that I could walk to, even though I don't walk to church. I grew up in a Korean church, and I think this really shaped and guided a lot of my theology in terms of community. Um, after I, I spent 21 years at that church, I spent the following five years at another pretty much pan-Asian, but pretty much predominantly Korean church as well. Uh, and it was only when I started coming to New Community was I thrown into this environment that was completely different. Uh, I mean, the theology and the preaching was the same, but it just had such a different feel. I felt incredibly uncomfortable. So I've been, I've been coming now for about a year, and I would say about the first seven or eight months, as soon as service would be over, I'd be the first one out the doors. I'd hit the access right away, and if no one would talk to me within the first 30 seconds, put on my coat and I was gone. You know, we've heard so many messages this year about uh, racial reconciliation and uh, ethnicity and in terms of the greater community of things, and honestly, up to this year, and pretty much for the majority of this year, I didn't think it really applied to me at all. Um, I have my, you know, Christian friends. They all happen to be Asian. When it came down to it, I really didn't have many friends outside of my own ethnicity when it came to Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, I think up, for, up until now, my whole life, being Christian was almost the same thing as being Korean. It was only after we started hearing about it, you know, I was just thinking to myself, yeah, those are some pretty good thoughts. I, I guess, like, on a conceptual level, I guess I agree that, you know, we should really be one, um, and we should really you know, the ethnicity and things like that really shouldn't matter. And I, I visited one of my friends' church who uh, was pretty much a predominantly Asian church. I felt very comfortable, and I realized that that comfort probably wasn't a good thing. Uh, I felt like I was more or less showing that there's some kind of incongruity with my theology on community and what I, what I believe in terms of the kingdom of God. So I left that meeting, that, that church meeting, with 
just a sense that something's not right about the way I do community. I've been trying to get more involved in my small group, uh, which, you know, is a great small group where we have people from every walk of life, um, and it's been a good time, uh, but honestly, it still feels uncomfortable at times. Um, but one of the things I've learned this past year is that not everything that's uncomfortable is a bad thing. Here I am, I'm still struggling through it. I'm still struggling to get to know people. You know, I'm confident that you know God placed me here for a reason, and it's to, to learn community. It enlarges my perspective you know, in the greater sense um, that God is more than a God of the... Silly as it sounds, God is more than a God of the Koreans. You know, when I think about the kingdom of God, and from what I've always been taught. You know, the kingdom of God is a place where it's every, it's every tongue and tribe, and it's every race and ethnicity, everyone in one place, you know, worshiping God. I've been coming to New Community for, it's been a little more than a year and a half. I came back from uh, my own internship for, for my studies, and I needed a place that would help me discern uh, my calling. Prior to New Community, and I, um, I've just had my studies at, at uh, North Park, and before that, um, I had a pretty lengthy, you could say, uh, strenuous um, life. I grew up in a broken home. I I experienced a lot of abuse, and uh, I was homeless. This past December, I was looking forward to spending Christmas with uh, the Ericsons, who are a family uh, that uh, you would know the last name by, Tyler Erickson. He's, um, he introduced me to his family, um, and for like five years, we just spent Christmas and Thanksgiving together. It turns out Tyler wasn't, isn't here, he's in Romania, and I still wanted to go visit, visit them. I found out that his parents weren't going to be there. And Tyler, hearing that, called around. <laughs> uh, he called around and he called Omar <laughs> and found a place for me to spend Christmas. Um, so Christmas Day, I spent with, uh, with uh, Matt and Susie. Um, it was an incredible experience. Um, these are people that I may have known their names, I may have like seen what they do in the church, but I didn't know very much about them. We seem to have very similar desires for community and very similar experiences being absent from family uh, or having a different type of Christmas, a different type of New Year's than everyone else or what's seeming like everyone else. It was at that point where I realized something. I realized that Christmas, New Year's, even sometimes birthdays, they're the rituals that we as a people go through, experience together. But sometimes the story that goes along with it is not always positive. Sometimes it's negative. And so those events um, that the world tends to celebrate hurts. It hurts um, some people very deeply. And 
With that, we look for many opportunities to have positive stories along with those rituals. And my experience with Susie and Matt was, was just that. We spent hours together uh, cooking food. <laughs> Matt made an incredible apple pie. Uh, we had lasagna, like uh, some type of lasagna. Uh, she's going to kill me for getting it wrong, but <laughs> with spinach uh, that she made was very good. And we just had a great time. Uh, we asked each other hard questions. And with just clarity and with openness, we shared the answers. We shared ourselves with each other. Uh, and we're all different people. You know, white, African-American, Korean. And I can honestly say that I, you know, I love these guys. <laughs> Even though it was just one day, you know, I saw the vulnerability in them that they were willing to have with me, and it was it was incredible. And that's what I think community is: it's the willingness to to be that for each other, vulnerable. As we talk about community, I'll leave you with an image. Again, we talked about throughout the fall. Uh, throughout the fall. First Peter chapter 2, Paul, uh, the Apostle Peter says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And the image that I wanted you and I to have throughout the fall was of a brick. As you look at a wall, you and I are a brick or stone Within this wall, this church, this, this community that God is building. There are people above you. There are people below you. There are people beside you. Are you so involved? Are you so integrated into the lives of other people in this church that should you just stop coming, should you just stop being involved, that the whole building would crumble? Are you that intimately involved in the lives of people in this church? Are you that contextualized in community? Let me say one more thing before I move on here. We talk about this in our church a lot. Community and being community is also incredibly important because we get to see all of who God is. Look, if you're coming here Sunday morning and you're hearing me preach and that's the primary way in which your picture of God is being painted, you are getting a picture of a God, okay, from a guy who came to the States when he was nine years old, a Korean family with the traditions and cultures that I grew up with, with the life experiences that I lived. And I could only, I could only paint one facet of this incredible beauty of God. One facet. And it's within community with people who have experienced and known God from their backgrounds and experiences that you will get to see all of who God is. Is that important for you? I hope it is. Lastly, Cause. Say this with me. Ready? Cause. One more time. Cause. Here's the best way to sum this up. God didn't die for you that, so that you could just stop doing bad stuff. God didn't die for you and rise again from the dead through his son just so that you and I could stop doing bad stuff. You know I mentioned that? Because for many of us who grew up in church, the church has been so obsessed with stopping sin in our lives that it has failed to unleash the extraordinary potential that lies in you and me to make a difference for our world. 
Our church doesn't exist to make you good people who will stop sinning. Our church exists so that you can be unleashed with the cause of Christ to make a change in your world for him. That's why we're here. I love that picture, John chapter 13 of Jesus wrapping the towel around his waist and washing the feet of his disciples. Many scholars and theologians have talked about that. But my perspective on that is this. That wasn't an extraordinary act for Jesus. He was the son of God. How could he do the work of a menial slave? It's not an extraordinary thing for Jesus. It is right in line with who he is. It is right in line with one very nature of God. And that is God loves to serve. God is a servant. I know that sounds sacrilegious, but that's because our value systems are so corrupted. See, you and I look at God and we say, if I was God, would I let servanthood be the ultimate expression of all that potential? We don't mind God being all-powerful because that's something that we actually would a little part of. We don't mind God being all-omniscient, all-knowing because, again, that reminds us of a quality that we would love to have. God being all-present, that's even better because it affirms our value for control. But to think of God as a servant seems completely out of line with what we think of God. But not with God. He chose to express himself through servanthood. That's why I say a lot in our church, serving and being a servant is not just godly, it's God-like. You and I may never be more like him than when we also wrap a towel around our waist and serve those who are in need. But in our church, we want to take this a step further. It's not about just being a good Christian. It's not about being a good person. It's not about being a, you know, a good servant, wrapping a towel. Those are all good things. But there is a cosmic aspect to why we do what we do. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. Because I've talked about this so often, I'm not going to elaborate a whole lot. It just is a reminder to some of us that need to be reminded this morning of why we do what we do. Isaiah chapter 58, the context of the book of Isaiah in 58 is God has already rebuked his people who have said to God, God, we worship you, our morality is perfect, we're tithing, we're doing all the things that you've asked to do, but God, there's a disconnect. You're not answering our prayers, God. You're not eminently close, God. What's going on? And God says, let me show you what true worship is. Let me show you what true fasting is. Let me show you what real relationship with me is like. And in verse 6, he says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? To when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Church, new community, do you know why we're involved in the cause of Christ? It's not just so that we could be a good servant. But we do it so that the work that God is out to do. In this world, to put to right all that has gone wrong is to participate with God in bringing about His shalom. Shalom. So much more than peace. Shalom is the putting to right, putting together, putting to harmony everything that has fallen with sin. And we talk about this in our church a lot. Throughout the scripture, in the background and foreground of scripture is this concept that God created the world to be this interwoven, interconnected place where all aspects of creation was to function in harmony, was to function in this intimate way of being interrelated with each other. And that our actions have profound implications, not just for us, but for the society at large. And a person who got this and understood this, and as a result, was motivated to make a difference in his world, was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
of whose birthday we celebrated recently. Listen to what he says as he wrote from the letter, wrote in this letter from the Birmingham jail. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I can't sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a garment of destiny. Whatever affects one, affects all indirectly. Do you know why we do what we do? It's when you serve that cold cup of water in Jesus' name. It's not just that person that you're serving. But through serving of that person, you are in a small and yet profound way bringing about God's shalom. When you involve yourself, as Susie and the rest of these attorneys and lawyers will do in our church, by serving the underprivileged in, in dealing with the legal system, they are not just serving that individual, but they are pouring their resources, their energy, into a place where people will get a glimpse of God's, say with me, shalom. Healing and wholeness of all of God's creation. And God has called you and I to pour our time, our energy, our resources into where there's disintegration, into places where there's lack of shalom because of sin, because of injustice, because of oppression, exploitation. To go to those places and to pour out our energy, to pour out our time, to pour out our resources. Because it is when we do that, not only do we reflect a genuine relationship with God, Matthew 25, whatever you do for the least of these you do unto me, but it is when we do that that we're giving a glimpse of the ultimate putting to rights that God will do. Do you know what's going to be really cool when you're involved in this cause? When heaven finally comes, your and my response will be, oh, been doing this all along. Oh, those are the people that are valued? That's what we've thought all along. Oh, God, we, 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 We've been at work at this. And now here it comes just a reminder to us. That's ultimately what lies ahead. You and I are pieces of thread. All of us. And the pieces of threads have been created by God to be interwoven, interrelated, interconnected in such a way that the result is a beautiful garment of destiny. Our world out there looks like a bundled mess of threads just thrown on top of each other. And God has created the church to be that physical, tangible expression of a group of people who through the power of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom that is at work is interrelating, interweaving, interconnecting through all that we have so that the world's eyes will see a testimony of God's shalom, His kingdom that is to come but is here. These videos, lastly, testimonies of people in our church who are at work, not just with the towel around their waist, but with an eternal hope and future that when Jesus Christ finally comes and heaven comes crashing down on earth, our response will be, we've been doing it all along.
am the Warming Center Director with New Community. And the re what I do, basically, is um, we, we have the center that's attached to the church. It's a, it's a ministry, a social ministry of the church. And um, it ministers to the homeless in Logan Square. And we provide um, a few meals a day for four days a week. Um, and we basically um, minister to practical needs, but also spiritual needs, relational needs of the homeless here in Logan Square. Well, the reason I do what I do, I think, has largely to do with how I was raised and how um, who was in my life. Um, my grandfather was a Salvation Army major, and so he taught our family the importance of loving God and serving the poor. And so that's always been a part of who I am. And um, when I was in college, I went on a mission trip to Haiti and really encountered poverty for the first time in my life. And um, when I saw that, I, my worldview completely changed, and I wanted to do something that would um, just make a difference, you know? Um, so I wanted to just be involved in kind of the practical needs of people, and um, I wanted God to use me in that way. So I think the kingdom of God is here and it's now um, we're a part of it and it's also in the future um, so what we do here and now affects what happens in the future as well or how things will be in the future I believe when Christ came you know he he came to set things right and so um, we as his church are part of doing that and so it started with the early church them taking care of one another um, and that's what it was. It, was. it wasn't just a spiritual thing. It wasn't just how is my relationship with God or what are, what are we, what is my personal conviction with God. It was about taking care of each other um, and um, community. That's what I need to ask myself and that's what we need to ask ourselves. You know, how are we affecting our community? Christ said that people would know that we were his disciples by our love. That doesn't mean just loving the people we know. It means getting to know our community. It means um, it means serving one another. It means um, helping one another out. And I've been really encouraged by um, by the people who come, you know, and and are able to receive things there. Um, I've felt very encouraged if I'm having a hard day. Um, People will ask me how I'm doing or they'll try to help me, you know, and they'll serve me. Even when they don't have much, if they receive something, they know that that comes from God. And um, they have faith in Him. So whenever they receive from God, they give to each other, you know. And it shows how much faith they have, and I'm really encouraged by that. When Christ brought the kingdom here on earth, it impacted everything. God reveals so much of who he is through, through the poor. When you see Christ in other people, it's a real blessing. I was invited, you know, uh, by a good friend, uh, Libby. Uh, she wanted me to share some of the values, you know, uh, experience about the center. I've been there now for a couple of years. You know, we feel like family. If someone comes in, you know, with a, a problem or, you know, who's not feeling too good, you know, we ask them what's wrong. 
you know, uh, then, you know, maybe try to help them out. I appreciate the new community for being there because they have helped me out in the past. You know, as far as, you know, getting around transportation, you know, uh, clothes, things like that, which I'm grateful and blessed that they're there. And some of the other volunteers that was there, uh, they was they was nice, okay, because they treated us, you know, like uh, I I would say like people's like I would treat people, okay. Uh, you know, ask the house thing going. You know, are you working or uh, do you need any clothes or things like that? No, I would give uh, as far as on a grade level. You know, I would give the volunteers and staff there and leaders you know, an A, A plus. Okay, because like I say, not only me but other people who come there to the center. You know, they help them out too. I'm passionate about social justice um, because I got involved with this organization. It's a secular organization called Public Action for Change Today. And it's basically a group of young people in Chicago that want to change the world. Like, they're willing to take on the really hard issues. And they come from all different communities. I mean, they're from different locations in Chicago, from the west side, north side, south side, to different communities, like the Latino community, to different faith backgrounds, including like the Muslims and Jewish caucuses, um, and as well as different lifestyles, including the gay and lesbian caucus. Um, so it's been so um, just amazing to see so many different types of people come together and work on issues that matter to young people. We um, did a voter registration drive where at first our goal was to get 12,000 young adult voters. We absolutely blew it out of the water and I just cannot believe how many young people were interested in politics and voting. We actually got 14,000 um, young adult voters. Another big event that I was uh, able to be a part of was a financial aid rally and that one really hits home for me and that's really why I'm so passionate about social justice issues. Um, I grew up in a middle-class family that immigrated here from the Philippines and all we wanted was the American dream um, but unfortunately college in the U.S. is really expensive and so um, to fund my college education I actually joined the military. Um, I was served in the U.S. Navy for six years and actually that's where I became a Christian. Um, unfortunately I experienced a lot of things that I wasn't really expecting to. Um, I was sent to the Persian Gulf and I was there for both the bombing of the USS Cole and for, um, sorry, for the beginning of the war with Iraq. And it's not something that I, I think any 18-year-old should experience. And so when I came back to Chicago and um, got to be a part of uh, a new ministry with a with new community called Social Justice, um, I found a place where my story really fit in. Um, and so at this financial aid rally, I was able to, to give my story, um, and not just the fact that um, I was able to go to the military and get money for college, but the fact that it was God's work. And he took me to that place for a reason, and he gave me the story so that I can tell other people. Um, and so the results of that rally, um, we were working for to increase funding for Illinois uh, Monetary Award Program, which is a financial aid grant for low-income students. The funding was cut um, a couple years ago, and um, we wrote letters, um, and we got um, state senators and state representatives to help lobby for us. Um, at first we got $8 million, which was great, which restored it to the original value that it started at. And then a couple months later, it increased 
and so the total was $34 million. And if that's not God working, I don't know what is. Um, and I'm just so, so excited to be a part of something like this um, because I knew nothing about politics before I joined this ministry. Um, actually, I, have, I didn't even vote like, when I turned 18. Um, but I've been learning slowly, hands-on. Um, and so I see God in that and I see the, the cause part of New Community really working in that. Um, because we can always be about service and do things like that, but why not take on the bigger issues? I mean, we work for an awesome God, and we can solve issues that, that are, you know, the government, um, people might give up on it. You know, a lot of people don't even want to vote because they, they feel like their vote doesn't count. My faith is a big part of what I do because I feel as Christians, um, God has asked us to take care of everyone. Um, and especially for those that don't have a voice. I've met so many people um, with this organization Impact who just, I mean, they care about other people, but I want even more than that. I mean, I want to see them know Jesus Christ and have that personal relationship with Him and see their lives just radically changed. As Christians, we have hope um, in, in a future and God that can do anything. We have hope in a future and a God that can do Anything. Did you guys appreciate those video testimonies? They are huge. They're huge. They're huge. Let me leave you with this. Vision that's ex- as this expansive, this big, requires all of us. Not just some, not even most, but all. The only way sometimes to describe what happened throughout the book of Acts is through the word all. All 3,000 responded to the message. All the believers had everything together in common. All the believers. All. A mission that's as expansive as what God has called us to do has no room for spectators. What are you willing to do this year? To be a part of a church community that will connect people whose souls have been seeking the one that created them, Christ. What are you willing to do this year to be involved in intimate community in such a way that your life becomes so critical that there are people who are intimately, intimately interdependent on you in such a way that if you just stop coming, that their lives will be radically affected? And what are you willing to do this year To give yourself and your life to something much larger than just you, just me, or this church. The advancement of God's kingdom. Jump in. Dive in. The future of this church looks like you. Your passions. Your giftings. Your resources. Let's pray together. Do you want, we all stand together and worship team and choir. If you guys could come on up. Let's join our hands together as a church body. And I want to encourage you to perhaps even go in between the aisles and join the hands of those that are standing next to you. We don't do this. The joining of our hands to be sentimental. 
We do this as a reminder to us, as a reminder to you, as a reminder to me that this mission, this vision, this expansive call cannot be accomplished on our own. God is with us. That's not the issue. Spirit of God is here. That's not the issue. The issue is, do you and do we together have enough faith to believe that what God has called us to do is possible? Father, with our hands joined, we we give our lives to you. God, I am convinced that the future of this church is the very people that stand here. And our willingness to invest our time, our energy, our resources for this greater work that you are doing in this city and all over the world. God, take us, all of us, individually and corporately. And the enormous challenge, Eliza, throughout this year to make that reality, to make you our God, our King, our Lord, and submit and yield all that we have under your Lordship, under your Kingship, so that we would be set free and released and unleashed to do extraordinary things. Empower us, Spirit of God. We need you. We need you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, choir. It's a blessing this morning. All of you who serve this church and make it what it is, I'm the luckiest pastor in the world because I get to do this with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great week. We start a new journey looking into Jesus. See you next Sunday. Take care.